Hi, and welcome to the Science in the City podcast, your gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, Tamara Johnson. As part of our Science and the Seven Deadly Sins series, Dr. Paul Zak joined us to talk about his work studying the relation of a hormone called oxytocin to human behavior. Specifically, he researches oxytocin's role in regulating generosity and its counterpart, greed. So here's Dr. Zak discussing some of the ways in which we've evolved to get along with each other. This is a very New York story in many ways. I started running these experiments in early 2001, and at the time, this uh, molecule I'll tell you about, oxytocin, was only known to facilitate birth and breastfeeding in humans, although in animals had been shown to um, also modulate care for offspring and in some social species to allow for toleration of burrow mates. So I started thinking about moral behaviors. I thought, gee, going from toleration to actually care for somebody, maybe that runs on a continuum. Maybe I can start studying this molecule. And that's what we started doing. It's, it's technically hard to study. It's a very shy molecule. You have to sort of coax it out of the brain. Uh, but once we figured out how to do that, um, we were able to actually amass a lot of evidence on why people do certain things. And part of the New York story is that our first publication in 2004 reporting this work on oxytocin was in the annals of the New York Academy of Sciences. So thank you to the Academy. And second, today I'm going to tell you about um, a woman who uh, we've studied extensively who has a very uh, New York foundation. Uh, this is her. Her name is Stephanie Castagnier. And a couple seasons ago, she was a finalist on the Donald Trump show, The Apprentice. So Stephanie, as you can see, is beautiful. She's wealthy. Uh, she lives in Chicago. And she is famously greedy. So as part of a Canadian TV show, this footage has never been seen in the US, I was asked to put her through a series of tests. And while I tell you about our 10 years with those experiments, I want to illustrate how some of this work works by telling you a little about Stephanie. Let's see what she, hear what she has to say. Yes, I want to win. Does that make me greedy? No, that makes me a competitor. I'm running the race, I might as well win. No one says I'm training to be second. I'm ambitious, I'm passionate, I know where I'm going, I know how to get there, and move out of my way. You want to be friends with her? Okay, move out of my way. All right, so as I really started thinking about the seven deadly sins, if we can withhold the sort of Catholic view, which is the sins are deadly because they separate us from God, we leave that out for a minute. Seven deadly sins are still deadly. They're deadly because they separate us from other people. So greed does that. Greed says, look, it's all about me. It's money on the table. I'm going to take it. It's about me, me, me. Same thing with sloth. Same thing with lust. Those are all about putting me first. And that's maladaptive for social creatures like human beings. Right? If I'm always taking from you, do you want to be around me? No. You're going to avoid me. Right? I get isolated. And isolation is not adaptive for us. How do we know that? Think of people who are isolated. Lonely people die uh, much earlier. How do we punish prisoners in jail who misbehave? We put them in solitary confinement. Right? We're a gregariously social species. We like to be around not only people we know, but even people we don't know. We're affiliated with anybody. Right? We'll fit into groups quite easily. So what the seven deadly sins do is they separate us out from the other humans. Right? And that is literally deadly. Okay, so let's delve now into the science behind this. So I'm a skeptic. So we don't do experiments where we say, um, what's your name, sir? I was sitting next to you. Mark. Mark, Mark are, are you a nice person? You say, of course I am. 
get money to the homeless. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe Mark has an incentive to lie to me, or maybe he's just delusional. I mean, I have no idea. So we do experiments in which we tempt people with virtue and vice by using money. So we're going to do one of those experiments right now. Let me split the room in half. Everyone to my right, orange shirt guy, you're in the middle guy. Everyone else on my right, imagine that I just endowed you with $100. Okay, you're in my experiment. And you're going to be matched, for example, by using your smartphone with someone on the left side of the room. You're not going to know who you're matched to, random person. They're not going to know who you are. And here's the experiment. The people on the right with $100 have to propose a split to the person they've been matched to who has $0 for me. A split of $100. So you can offer half, you can offer a third, okay, 100%. And the people on the left, the trick is, they can accept your proposal if they like it, and then I'll pay you both. But if they don't like it, they can reject it, and you both get zero. So think about that for a minute. Yeah. If they didn't have the reject op option, it would be easy, right? Uh, it'd be a little nice to them. But now they can actually reject it. So people on the right, how much would you offer? 50%. OK. So that turns out that 50% is the most common offer in developed countries. And offers of 50% are always accepted. Right? Why? It's fair. OK. Now. And by the way, in these experiments, we're really torturing. You take your blood a couple times, or, or if I take some oxytocin and squirt it up your nose and let it get into your brain, offers are 80% more generous. Right? I'm going to tell you why in a minute, because we'll look at Stephanie. Or if I give you another drug that inhibits um, oxytocin, I'll tell you about that in just a minute, I can make your offers substantially less generous. I can make you more greedy. So. The point here is that our brains are swimming in the soup of chemicals that we don't know much about. Oxytocin is very evolutionarily old, and it affects the way our brains work in these social settings. And so I think part of the value of doing this kind of research is that it brings to light factors that we are not aware of consciously that do affect our decisions. This is interesting, right? So now we have this underlying chemical that your brain makes that not only can we measure, but we can manipulate. And when we can manipulate it, we can also manipulate things that upregulate it and downregulate it. And so it tells us about, I think, what's been a missing part of the puzzle of human behavior. So scientists understand a lot about fear, aggression. Those are very easy to provoke in a laboratory. But provoking good behaviors, things like uh, generosity, are actually quite difficult. We needed a target, and we needed a sort of methodology. So by combining neuroscience and economics, we were able to provide these insights into what's working. So um, Stephanie was very unusual when she did the, the task you guys just did. She did it twice. The first time we gave her a placebo, she didn't know what she was getting. And she asked, uh, she was the person making the offer, and she offered 10% of the pie. And of course, people on the left, if someone asks you, offers you $10 and they're keeping 90, what would you do? Accept or reject? Reject. Greedy bastard, right? So she, her, her, so was, and we were really paying her, so the money was rejected. They've done these studies, for example, using the same task in developing countries where you, like India, where you can actually give people three months' salary, and people will still do this. Now, the thresholds go down a little bit. It's harder to reject three months' salary, right? But yeah, the same behavior happens around the world. The behavior seems to be fairly consistent, even if the thresholds change a little bit. Okay, so the first time thr through, she made no money. The second time through, I gave her oxytocin, as you saw. She played the game again, and then she offered half. A win, except what? I interviewed her afterwards, and I said, 
so did you feel differently? Did you, you know, you've changed your behavior? And she said, oh no, I just figured out what these people need for me to get paid. <laughs> so we have to delve into that a little bit. So we're going to get down to where greed comes from, but we have to understand the underlying kind of physiology of oxytocin and also its dysfunction. About 5% of the people we test among the thousands of thousands now we've taken blood from to look at endogenous oxytocin release just don't get it. They don't have this. It's just missing. It's missing for a variety of really interesting reasons. So, um, so one thing we did when we started to drill down to this is ask, what's the underlying feeling that people report when their brains release oxytocin? What's the subjective state? So here's an experiment we did with this little boy. His name is Ben. Um, this is a video we got from St. Jude's Children's Hospital with permission. And it's a video of Ben, who has terminal brain cancer, who's two years old, and his father. These are real people, not actors. And it runs about 100 seconds. And we ask people to come in, get a blood draw, watch this video, report how they feel, another blood draw, and then do the same share the money task. Okay? And, and I'm not going to show you this video because it's actually really sad. People cry. And so it's a very powerful uh, video because the father's struggling to really enjoy his son with this, you know, knowledge that his son will be gone soon. All right. So this video in healthy adults produces on average a 47% increase in oxytocin. This is like a sledgehammer. This is like getting hit on the head with oxytocin, literally. Um, and what happens? They watch this video and they're much more generous in their share the money task. Okay. So what did Stephanie do? Oh, I'm sorry. And so the subjective feeling, the point of this, the subjective feeling is one of empathy. So the increase in oxytocin correlates with people's uh, self-report of empathy for Ben and his father. So the more oxytocin you release, the more empathic you report you feel. Okay. So we're going to put Stephanie to the test. Could Stephanie's greed be the result of her inability to produce or properly utilize oxytocin in her system? In a typical human body, the video should elicit a strong emotional response leading to a surge in oxytocin. If she releases a lot of oxytocin when watching the Cancer Kid video, but still has high testosterone levels, it means that oxytocin is just moving around in her brain, but not doing anything actively. Outwardly, Stephanie appears to be moved, but is it just for show? A blood test proves it is. Despite the dramatic nature of the video, her oxytocin levels barely register. The average increase for viewers is 47%. Stephanie only hits 9%. So she didn't really feel this empathic response, even though she reported it. She doesn't seem to have the physiology of empathy, which allows her to be a bit more aggressive and really not care how that affects other people. Okay, so a bunch of things happen in that clip that I want to tell you about. Um, one is, uh, like other people uh, we've tested, who have many of their face of psychopaths, they don't uh, seem to, they produce oxytocin, but they don't seem to take it up. So they seem to have a receptor dysfunction. And there's some technical ways that we've, we've uh, got evidence for that. Um, so they just don't have this empathy feeling that we do. So if I'm connected to you emotionally, it's very difficult for me to steal from you, or if I care about you. Right, people do steal from their family members, but it's pretty rare. Um, but if I don't care about you, or if I think you're different than me, or um, you know, I'm not, I don't have this sense of connection, kind of all bets are off, right? So 
Um, it's empathy, this feeling of connection that tends to modulate a whole variety of moral behaviors, including greed. Right? So I might want more for myself. I'm happy to get paid more. My kids need new shoes. I want to go to a good college. But I'm not going to do that at the expense of taking things from other people. Why? Because everybody knows everybody else, and the word gets out, I'll get ostracized. Right? That's not, it's not a good long-term strategy. It might be a good short-term strategy, but long-term it doesn't generally pay off, at least for social creatures. Okay, so two of the things that showed up in that clip. One is this mention of testosterone. So what we found in experiments is that testosterone is, in fact, a potent oxytocin inhibitor. So in particular, in experiments where we administer testosterone to men and then compare themselves, compare that to themselves on placebo in the same share of the money task, men on testosterone are substantially more selfish. They don't offer as much money, but they also demand more. Right? So they're putting themselves first on both levels. Right? So why is this interesting? Well, from Stephanie's perspective, it's interesting because she has very low testosterone, even for a woman but she converts it into this sort of high-octane version of testosterone called dihydrotestosterone, DHT, at an unprecedented rate. I've never seen a person in my lab do this. So she has some weird genetic anomaly in which she can be very feminine, but she can turn on the gas like nobody's business. So um, in particular for these individuals like Stephanie who don't seem to have functioning oxytocin receptors or enough functioning receptors, if we replace oxytocin in these individuals, we don't have an effect, right? Because there's nothing for this oxytocin to go to, or at least too little. Uh, so part of that is driven by her high levels of dihydrotestosterone, uh, but part of it's also environmental, right? So again, the idea here is we're not going to decrease greed by uh, drugging people, but really to, I think, understand the system and perhaps make it more conscious. Okay, so, so why would you not be greedy? A lot of people say, oh, it's because I'll get punished. Government's watching me, right? But oh, there probably are cameras here. I say there's no cameras here. There probably are some cameras here somewhere. But in general, we, we don't have Big Brother watching us all the time. Well, in New York, maybe. Uh, but, you know, in many other places, not. Uh, so how do we modulate our, our behavior? Well, it turns out that high testosterone individuals, usually males who have five to ten times testosterone as women, but sometimes females in our experiments, are much more likely to invest their own resources to punish people who don't cooperate, who are greedy. So the value of these high testosterone individuals is they like to enforce the rules. And even in these one-shot settings, so you do one transaction, you leave the lab, you get paid, they'll still spend money to make that other person lose money because it's just not right. So we have this kind of built-in biology of morality right inside us. We have oxytocin that connects us to others, makes us feel empathy. And then we have testosterone that particularly spikes when someone doesn't cooperate with us. So again, much more in men than in women. And then the male response is, the hell with you, I'm gonna beat the crap out of you, right? You didn't play right. There's a line from the Seinfeld, old Seinfeld episode, we live in a society, right? Society has rules, and some people feel a need to enforce those rules, right? And sometimes that's appropriate. So that, just that threat of punishment is a great way we see in experiments to um, motivate people to be not greedy, to be sharing. So two factors in play. And so what we've done is essentially unmask the underlying biology of that. Oxytocin seemed to be this sort of moral sentiment. Why do I not take Mark's money? I'm going to feel bad, number one, right? He's going to grimace at me. Then number two, all the other humans will look at me, and they're going to be mad at me. Don't like that. And then, what's your name, sir? Marty. 
Murray. And then Murray, who's a, uh, clearly an alpha male, is going to beat the crap out of me. So three reasons not to steal from Mark, right? All right. So what it means is that we don't need God or government directing our behavior because we're already self-directed. And we're self-directed because we're embedded in community. We can't escape community. And it's that community that gives us morals and enforces those morals through these pathways in the brain. In fact, the brain pathways are fascinating. So we've done studies where we look at the areas that are most active in these tasks that involve things like generosity or greed. And we find that generosity not only induces the release of oxytocin, but that larger brain circuit, which I call the home circuit, home stands for human oxytocin-mediated empathy circuit, utilizes two other neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin. And dopamine in particular provides a feedback loop in which it feels good to do good. Right, so that, to me, is huge news. So why do we help other people? Why are we not greedy? Because we have a little feedback loop that says, oh, keep doing this. The humans apparently like this. And I want to be around the humans, so I'll just keep doing this. It's a reinforcement system. Right. So everything is set up for the system to work properly, right? except what happens. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't is where we get greed. And that's what I tell you about next. So I told you about testosterone potent oxytocin inhibitor. And what other inhibits oxytocin? It turns out that high levels of stress inhibit the release of oxytocin. So you're under high physiologic stress. Your brain says, I got to get through the next 20 minutes. Now I'm stepping over you to get there and stealing resources. I'll do that because I'm completely stressed out. Okay? So you guys know that. right? When you're really stressed out, you're not your best self. Right? You grump at people. Then what do you have to do? The next day, you've got to go to your colleagues or your spouse and go, I'm so sorry. I was a real jerk yesterday. I was having a bad day. The dog died. I got hit by a car, whatever. And everyone understands that. We've all had bad days. Right? And it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means I'm having a bad day. Right? So again, I think part of the value of unmasking these evolutionarily old mechanisms of the brain is that it's not that it gives us excuses, but it helps us be a little more tolerant of the people around us. There, right? um, but I think we should be careful on understanding things like self-interest self-interest drives much of our behaviors as being distinct from greed. Right? Greed says, I want more for me and less for you. Self-interest says, hey, I can find a nice win-win space. And so one of the things uh, I talk about in the Moral Molecule book is that we have great cross-country evidence that oxytocin has allowed us to extract value from a wide variety of relationships. So even our closest genetic relatives, chimpanzees, don't have even close to the kind of cooperation that we have, particularly with strangers. Right? The only time chimpanzees uh, leave their troop is when the males re reach puberty and then they move to a different troop. And then what happens? For years, they get the crap beat out of them by the alpha male or males. Right? And they might eventually rise up in the ranks and get a chance to reproduce, but it's a very vicious dog-eat-dog -dog culture or monkey-eat-monkey, -monkey, whatever they are. They're, they're apes. Uh, anyway. But we, we find many opportunities to cooperate. So I look at this room. Most of you don't know each other. But I don't see anybody stressed out. Well, a couple guys back there look kind of stressed. But the rest, everyone else looks great. All right? So why? Because we're sensing this is a safe place. These are safe people. I don't have to worry. And I might chat with these folks afterwards. I might find a person that knows someone I know or works in the same industry. And all of a sudden, we're becoming friends. Or we find a cute guy or girl to go out with. There's lots of ways we build social networks, and we get lots of value out of that that other creatures just don't get. Okay, so oxytocin really allows that, and greed works against that strong desire. Now, having said that, in experiments where we make 
uh, your group salient, the more uh, isolated that group feels from the standard society, the more selfishness to seem towards outsiders, we see towards outsiders. So for example, we'd experiment where we had soldiers march. Marching is a really important part of basic trainings since the days of George Washington. Why? It entrains your movements with all the other individuals who you're going through basic with. So that's really important. So we had these soldiers march before and after. Indeed, they released oxytocin. And then we, and they wore their uniforms. And then we had them do this share the money experiment you just did with people out of uniform who didn't march. And guess what? Soldiers are sending money to the people in their group, but not the people in the out group. Okay, so again, this desire for kind of self-other merging is not uniform. We're always modulating. We only have a certain amount of resources. So sometimes it may make sense to save those resources for you or for your own group because you're getting benefit from that. And the more you feel isolated from the rest of the world, it seems like the more um, you know, that occurs. All right. So again, nothing's perfect, right? We evolved these imperfect systems, oxytocin, testosterone, that are modulating you know, selfishness and selflessness, greedy. So I encourage you to think about this underlying and very old, evolutionary old brain system um, that helps us modulate appropriate social behaviors by thinking, hey, it's good for me, but it also can be good for you. And that's the anti-greed molecule. That's it for this Science in the City podcast. For more, visit scienceinthecity.org and please feel free to email us anytime at scienceinthecity at nyas.org. You can also follow us on social media. We're Sci in the City on Twitter and Science and the City on Facebook. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening.